MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Wilts Couture, information technology expert at Nucor Steel Jackson and Flowood, and IT instructor at Holmes Community College, and Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctor and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg. Black Friday will be here in a couple days, so today we'll talk about how to protect your tech while shopping. Also, how to shop safely online, what are some things you should be looking for when shopping on particular websites, and how to avoid identity theft. Later in the show, we'll talk about digital assistance. Is Siri the best out there, or does she have some competition? We are taking calls today, but you can send an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Everyday Tech will be back right after the news. And welcome back to Everyday Tech. I'm Sherita Brent here with Wilts Couture. And Jeremy Thompson, and today we're going to be talking about how to shop safely online to get you ready for Black Friday. And we'll also talk about how to avoid identity theft, some ways to protect yourselves, and digital assistance. If we have time, we'll talk about them. Siri, Alexa, Echo, there are some new assistants on the rise, so we'll talk about them and if they can give you some help as well. Uh, good morning, Jeremy and Wilts. Thanks for being in today. Good morning. Good morning. So are the two of you big Black Friday shoppers? Like, do you wait in line at the store or do you uh, do a lot of your shopping online? I prefer to do mine online, uh, but I'm more of a small business Saturday guy myself. Uh, I like to support the little guy. Plus, a lot of the stuff that you buy on Black Friday, you got to be really careful with it because it's got a low price tag for a reason. Hmm. We see a lot of those Black Friday laptops not too long after they're purchased in the shop. And and people tell us, this was just a Black Friday laptop. I don't want to put a lot into it. So be careful what you purchase. That's interesting because, you know, people think they are getting the best deals ever. Oh, you know, yeah. Huge televisions, different laptops. I don't think it ever crosses any anybody's mind that they're getting a, a lesser quality device. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of the time, um, we've talked in the past about Intel Celeron processors. A lot of the time, those Black Friday deals have those really dinky, weak Celeron processors in them, and that's one reason that they're marked down so much. So while it may have good stats, it just doesn't quite work. And, you know, for some people, for some of the people out in the audience, I mean, that may just be what they need. I mean, we've we've mentioned it before, the glorified typewriter, the glorified, you know, Facebook browser. It may just be all they need, but for... Um, yeah, I think definitely along like what Jeremy's saying, if you're if you're looking at the big Black Friday computer deal as something to get your, your son and daughter as they're going off to college, it's probably not gonna fit you know, fit the bill for them. It's not gonna be enough. And also the expectation that you have for the performance of that machine needs to be lowered a little bit due to the fact that it was a bargain laptop. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so this idea that you said that you shop on Saturdays instead of Fridays, is this a recommendation you would give to other people? Should folks have been shopping earlier this year? Should they wait for that interim time between Black Friday and Christmas? What are your thoughts on the best time to shop? Well, the whole idea behind Black Friday is that it's the big consumer holiday, but that's for your 
bigger box stores. Um, the reason I say Saturday is because that's actually small business Saturday. That's where everybody kind of branches out to the little guy and supports them as well. Um, it's it's really difficult for a small business to have competitive Black Friday prices for things uh, compared to, say, Best Buy or something like that. So it's a good idea to support those little guys as well because, you know, that, that revenue stays in your local community. That, you know, takes care of uh, families and their needs, and it's, it's important that we remember that, that that's the day for the little guy. So when it comes to places like Best Buy, I've been there before, and I've been able to compare a price of something to somewhere else that I saw on Amazon, for instance. Mm -hmm. So is that something that people should be aware of when they are buying tech devices? You know, hey, I can present this price to you, so you you can't say that this is a final sale because uh, some, some places will price match. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, most retailers, as long as it's sold by Amazon and it is in stock, then they will match that price. You just want to make sure that you read reviews on whatever it is that you purchase and make sure that you're you know, getting something good because you can be blinded by that price tag, but you want to make sure that what you're getting is, is a quality machine. Now, Wills, what are your thoughts on um, not going for the new stuff all the time, like maybe looking into something that may be refurbished or used? Well, you know, the refurbished can really end up saving you a pretty good bit of money. It's definitely something to you want to look into it, uh, maybe pay a little bit closer t attention. You know, sometimes they'll knock those prices down pretty hard just for something a little bit cosmetic. And you, if you're not out there just to, uh, you know, to get the new, newest, shiniest penny, that can save you quite a few, you know, quite a few bucks, put a, quite a few back in your pocket. Uh, a lot of it would depend on what kind of refurbs they are. I, I do caution folks that if you're going to be, you know, no, no different than if you're buying a used car. If you're going to be buying something referred, be it from a box store, you want to ask them, what kind of warranty am I going to still get with this? Uh, you know, using what we'll kind of continue with the Best Buy example, you know, some of y'all have probably seen the the uh, the open box specials. Well, the really nice thing with the open box specials at Best Buy is that you still get the exact same return policy. So if you get that particular item home and there's a problem with it, you can still return it, and you know there's not really that much of a risk to your pocketbook at that particular point. Uh, factory warranties remain the same, just like if you were to have bought it brand spanking new. So, so that really can kind of pay off for you. But again, I would definitely recommend if you do one of those refurbs, open it on up, check it out. You may not want to uh, if you pick it up on Black Friday, for example. By the time somebody opens it up on Christmas morning, that return policy might have expired on you. So you really hmm. want to kind of pay attention to that and see what the problem is. And also, uh, in the neighborhood of refurbs, you also want to make sure you get a decent warranty on it. A lot of refurbs come with like a 30-day warranty or a 90-day warranty, but there are suppliers that will give you a one-year warranty on them as well. Um, in addition to that, I wanted to say I also uh, went for the open box at Best Buy and saved like 90 bucks on this laptop right in front of me. So, hmm. you know, I, the open boxes are a good way to go. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of them, too. Now, I'm curious about, um, because you see these images and footage of people camping out of places uh, to <laughs> to storm in and, and trample the over dedication. each other to get these things. But is it true that you can get some of these things in the palm of your hand? Do you have to go in store? Are the same deals available over the phone? Uh, on the, on the online store sites. Well, when I worked at Best Buy, no. Um, if you didn't, you know, finish your turkey at 
2 p.m. that day and then go pitch your tent outside Best Buy, you weren't going to be getting any of the door busters. So you mm-hmm. do have to be there physically, at least as far as I know. Yeah, I just, um, I mean, I've seen, you know, it seems like big screen TV seem to always be a big draw for those door busters. It just at least me personally, I've noticed quite a few times that after the fact, I can just about get the same deal a little bit later on. You know, Cyber Monday is right around the corner as well. That's yep. one that we sometimes forget about, especially you start, start talking about the Amazons and everyone else. There'll be some pretty pretty good deals coming up on Monday as well. So let's transition into shopping online, but doing that safely. Uh, some things that you should be looking for when you're on a website to make sure the website is legitimate. What about the idea of uh, using a secure connection and only shopping at a, at a website you trust as, as opposed to like a third-party website? That's pretty much the way that I do it um, myself. Always look for the green lock up there by the web address. Uh, that's not a guarantee, of course, that you're safe, but it's it's a lot more reliable. Um, it, it is hackable, but it, it takes a lot of work. So uh, look for the green lock. And um, if you're dealing with retailers that aren't big stores, if they accept something like PayPal, then you're a little better protected than if you gave that company directly your credit card number and so forth. Yeah, put a kind of that third person right in the middle. Because I think, you know, definitely uh, the uh, the padlock up top, the making sure that the web address actually has an S in it. So, you, you know, a lot of us see that HTTP. Putting that S just behind there actually stands for secure. And what that does, that offers you a couple of extra protections uh, to make sure that somebody's got to really work hard to get to see your information. So what do you think about scams and being on a particular website and seeing something that looks too good to be true? If it looks too good to be true, is it typically? Absolutely. Um, You'll actually see that on eBay a lot these days. Um, Somebody will attack an account and hijack it and put something up. Like recently we saw a solid state drive. It was like a 250 gig for like $11. And I was like, there's no way that's legitimate. So um, I, I went ahead and, and, and bought one uh, just to see, and, and a little while later, eBay you know, messaged me and said, we think this is an illegitimate transaction. So I would keep it um, with sites that you're familiar with for sure. Um, and again, if they accept PayPal, go that route because PayPal is going to be more secure than BillyBobShoes.com. So I'm curious about since you brought up eBay, what is a, a good? What are some good practices for first-time users of, of eBay? Uh, should they be checking the reviews? How do you know that the eBay seller is a legitimate person as opposed to a fraud? You pointed out one of the main things I think with any kind of online dealings that we're doing is looking at those reviews. What are other people saying? Now, one thing I t- used to tell folks a lot when it comes to those online reviews, though, is is remember you got to kind of take the the good with the bad. You're going to have some people that are going to just sit there and say, you know, oh, they're just the greatest thing in the world, and they're going to just rave about them all day long. The package kept me when I open it. One star. (laughs) Yeah, and you're going to get those. stupid like that. Yeah, you're going to get those folks in there also that that they're not going to be happy no matter what, and they're going to be happy no matter what. And what you've really got to do is, is, you know, don't just read one or two reviews and and put that just behind it. Look at the – the depth and breadth of it, basically. You know, where, where are they really going with it? What's the real spirit behind it? Because I know, especially with eBay and some other retailers, there's been a lot of stories in the past about them going in there and basically padding their reviews. So if you go in there and you start looking at reviews and you're noticing 
the time and date stamp are all within a couple of minutes of each other, that could actually be a less than reputable retailer sitting there just trying to make themselves look pretty good. So you really do need to look into those. Uh, that would be that would be definitely my big advice on eBay, especially is. What's their history? And how well have they done with others? Definitely look at the seller rating and see how many people were satisfied. And if people weren't satisfied, what's the ratio of satisfied customers to dissatisfied? And they'll usually tell you in the negative review what it was that they did wrong. It could be that there was a misunderstanding. Um, but, you know, typically if I, you know, if it says I bought this and this person didn't take it back, even though, you know, it was their fault or whatever, then then maybe look for a different seller. Yeah. And another thing I've liked, especially on um, on your yeah, I'll just use Best Buy and Amazon, continuing those for examples, is you'll see on the reviews, under that reviewer, it'll also say something like verified purchaser. It's actually verified. Not only, you know, this is not somebody just coming in and wanting to badmouth, um, you know, Joe Bob's widgets. This is somebody who actually bought that particular item. They have a verified sale on record, and that lets you know that this is actually a legitimate buyer. So you can look at that a little bit deeper. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about shopping safely online, some safety techniques you can use. Later in the show, we'll talk about identity theft. And if we have time, we'll talk about digital assistants like Siri and Alexa, Google Now. And this is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Everyday Tech. I'm Sherita Brent here with Wilts Couture and Jeremy Thompson. And it is almost Black Friday, so we're talking about some ways for you to shop safely online and some things to keep in mind to keep yourself safe. Uh, So, guys, I'd like to talk about, um, we've been talking about online shopping. Does it matter where you are when you're shopping on your device? Uh, Like in a coffee shop and you're using that coffee shop's Wi-Fi and you may have have to potentially put in some financial information. Do you advise against that? Oh, big time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah there's uh I would not trust a public Wi-Fi connection with anything I'm doing with my when it comes to my money. Absolutely. I mean, it, there's there's a thing called spoofing which someone can do on an open network which basically allows them to masquerade as a certain server. Uh, if they spoof, say, Amazon.com, which would be difficult to do but not impossible, uh, then it would m- confuse someone into thinking that they were actually talking to Amazon when they were really just putting in their credit card number to the guy next to them sipping a latte. <laughs> yes, actually, it's a lot easier than you think, too. I do this as an experiment with students when we first start the security class. And, you know, what do you think the first thing is the students do when they log into it? You know, they get onto a school computer. They're going to log in there. They're going to check their email. They're going to go into, you know, their Facebook or what have you. And about 15, 20 minutes into class, I turn on the overhead. And they're all staring at their passwords and all this other information. And nice. it's, it's a very, very simple process. And it really it, 
it sets the tone and it gets that attention. And unfortunately, when you're in that you know coffee shop, when you're in the you know restaurant, or even in the hotel for that matter, it's very easy for someone when less than good intentions to to get in there and actually you know pretend, like you said, spoofing, pretend to be someone else. So, can you guys talk about this uh, VPN? And so, if you are out in public, this uh, additional security measure you can use to make sure your Wi-Fi network is protected. Yeah. Uh, VPNs are extremely affordable. You're looking at just a few bucks a month. I I think typically they're cheaper than like a Netflix subscription. But uh, what it does is it allows you to connect to a remote server on an encrypted connection. So if you go into Starbucks, you connect to Starbucks network, but then you connect to your VPN, which allows you an encrypted connection between you and another server so you can handle all your private business. As far as anyone sniffing on the traffic, uh, sniffing being someone watching what's going on uh, on that network, they can only see that you're speaking in an encrypted format with a server somewhere else. Yes, yeah, imagine imagine that, you know, that particular bad guy or gal is sitting there. It's almost like you're talking a whole different language and they're not able to understand what you're saying. Now, I see a lot of commercials about these things that you can get to protect your credit cards uh, from the all the information being swiped off of it. Uh, what do you guys think about that? How common is that for your credit card information for somebody to come and swipe stuff off of it? So oh, I guess we're talking skimmers. about like RFID? Well, or... probably either RFID or even skimmers. You're seeing the, the skimmers a lot more at uh, ATMs and gas, gas stations, stations and, oh, yeah. and stuff. People will put a little small device over where you would normally insert your card, and it could have a camera or even a card reader. Card readers are very easy to come by. And they can put that in there, and they can pull that information straight off of there. It is very possible. We don't sometimes see it as much around here. Um, you hear about it more in, like, your very large touristy kind of areas, but we are starting to see more reports of it out of Mississippi even. I like to grab onto the card slot and give it a good pull to see if it doesn't come off because uh, a skimmer is going to come off relatively easy. So grab onto that card port and and tug on it. That's for your ATM. That's for your gas pump. That's for anything. You can never be too safe these days because you never know who's watching. And they can have a wireless device hooked up that will capture your PIN number when you put it in and uh, steal your card information as soon as you insert your card. Yeah, it sounds kind of James Bondish, but it, it really is. It's reality. I mean, anybody, you know, hit out there on YouTube and look up, you know, credit card skimmers and the technology they put into these, how small they've become. Exactly what Jeremy said. I do the same thing. People have sometimes looked at me a little cross-eyed, like, why are you pulling on the card readers? Like, well, I want to make sure nothing Velcros and comes off because that's how a lot of them are attached. And the mirrors as well. Tug on the mirrors because the mirrors should not come off. But if they do, then they might have a camera or something behind them. Do you think that folks should, when it comes to shopping, should folks shop with cash? Is that safer? Or just to have this, this one credit card that you kind of keep up with all your transactions? That's cash. that's what I do. I, I have one credit card that I'll uh, agree to swipe in machines. I'm really, really paranoid when it comes to where my data goes. Uh, so I try not to swipe my debit card if at all possible. So I, I like to have one card that I dedicate for that. That way, if it gets compromised, it's just one card and it's a credit card. I, I don't do it on a debit card. Uh, something that some folks, if you contact your credit card company as well, um, you know, your visas, your discovers, they can actually issue what are called one-time credit card numbers. So if you were going to do an online purchase, let's just say, you know, you did find that really good deal on that TV over there. 
you could actually call up to your credit card provider and say, look, I need a one-time credit card number. Mm. And so that way you could go to that online retailer, you enter in that number. It's going to be a transaction on your regular account, just like if you were to use your card. But what ends up happening is that, you know, ABC Inc., they got your credit card information. They get that one-time use number. It's no longer valid after that one purchase that you make. And then that way, you know, down the road, let's just say, you know, something unfortunate happens. They get their records compromised. Somebody compromised your credit card number that's absolutely useless. So, uh, it's you know, really easy and free service that a lot of your major credit card vendors will actually provide. I don't think that the bank cards, I've not heard of any banks around here that will do that, but I know like your, you know, your Capital Ones and your Discover cards and some of those guys, they'll actually do that for you. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Apple Pay and Google Wallet. Uh, these are kind of electronic services that allow you to basically make your stuff like driver's license and uh, cards digital. Uh, yeah, I know plenty of people who use these. They just put up their Apple Pay thing and pay at the counter. And it's a scary idea to me. But uh, any thoughts on Google Wallet, Apple Play, Apple Pay? Do you think this is something folks should consider transitioning to? I'm super paranoid when it comes to all things digital because I know that that information is only as secure as the the device that it's stored in. So personally, I, I don't use any of those things. I, I'm I'm very much against putting my biometric information in my phone or my credit cards because if somebody steals my phone, it's it's pretty easy for them to just go out and buy whatever they want. I'm mm. I'm just against that. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how many times I've heard my daughter just say in the house, "I can't find my phone." Um, you know, it's it's a it's a common thing. Unfortunately, we all live with these things, and the more and more information we're putting into them, we really have to think about how are we safeguarding that. What are we doing to keep it from falling to someone? You know, it kind of reminds me of a story I heard from someone a while back. My friend's wife had lost her phone, and you know, a lot of people just don't like to put that password onto their phone because ah, you know, it's inconvenient. It's you know, it's a pain in the tail to try to remember this, that, and the other. But she had lost her phone later that day or shortly thereafter, really, her husband received a text asking, what was the PIN number to the bank account? I can't remember it. Wow. But, of course, he sees this text message coming through from his wife. He's like, oh, well, honey, you know, it's one, two, three, four. Text it back. Okay, thanks. Not only has she lost her phone, she had lost her purse, which means that it had the credit cards inside of there. So what they had done is they had gotten into her phone, and they had looked in there for husband or honey or whatever else or whatever, however the name was listed in there and figured out really quick that was the husband of this particular person and asked for the PIN number. Well, of course, she has no phone, so she has no way of letting her husband know, hey, I've I've lost this. If you get anything strange, it could be a bad guy doing something. And they cleaned their bank account out. They were able to see the balances and pulled everything out of there. Wow. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of mentioned about what information are you putting onto your phone. I mean, that definitely falls into that. I mean, what what more damage could they have done with just that little bit of information? And, and without even having to have the cards if you store that on the phone. Now, I will say um, in my shop, you know, I have the little Apple Pay thing with Square. No one has ever used it. So I, I believe that us Southerners are still pretty conservative when it comes to storing our information on our phone, which is good. And I encourage people to continue to do that. But for those who do use Apple Pay and Google Wallet, what are some security measures they can use to protect themselves from theft and identity stuff? Put a password on your phone. A tricky password. Something more than four digits, yes. Definitely a tricky one. You know, using one, two, three, four, two, four, six, eight, 
1492, 1776, you know, there's so many different numbers. I would definitely recommend not just using just those, you know, uh, the simple pen, the simple four-digit pen. Go for something a little bit more difficult. And, and and this may seem like a really silly thing, but I've seen this done a couple times, too. Everyone's like, oh, well, I got the fingerprint scanner on there. You know, I mean, your Apple phones have that. And you can just press your thumb under there. Well, here's the thing. On a lot of phones, I can compromise your fingerprint scanner with a gummy bear. Or a piece of tape. Or a piece of tape, exactly. Because if if you were to pick up your phone right now and you touch that particular fingerprint scanner, if you look at it at the right angle, you can see your fingerprint's still there. All you need is something to push that back on there again. So what I tell folks to kind of get in the habit of doing is whenever you're pushing that button, drag your finger down off of it. Don't only push it, drag it. it Smear it a little bit because the oils from your finger will leave that print there. So it's not just secure just because you have your fingerprint, you know, just because you stored your fingerprint in there. You still need to think about those kind of things. I read that one of the Samsung phones has an iris scanner or it may have an iris scanner pretty soon. Sadly, that was the Note 7. Okay. I'm I'm playing violin now. (laughs) That was a pretty extreme protective measure, oh, security so, measure. Oh, so cool. You barely even had to look at the thing. Right. Like, like you just glance at your phone and boom, it's unlocked. Mm-hmm. Amazing. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about how to shop safely online and with your tech devices. We'll talk a little bit about identity theft when we get back from the break. And later, we'll get to digital assistants like Siri, Alexa, Google Now. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Everyday Tech. I'm Sherita Brett here with Jeremy Thompson and Wilts Couture. And this morning, in preparation for Black Friday, we are talking about ways to safely shop online and from your tech device. We'll also get into identity theft and later talk a little bit about digital assistance. Can we talk about PayPal as a a way to pay for things? Uh, Every once in a while, I'll get an email from PayPal saying, well, we are sending you a warning about this thing that happened to your account, uh, maybe a refund or just as a security measure. Uh, But is PayPal a pretty dependable service in your opinion? Yes. Yeah, they've definitely put themselves out there, and they have a reputation of being very reliable, very you know, very secure. They're well established. I've actually used PayPal since I was in the eighth grade, so I guess that was like fourteen. So that's like sixteen years. Um, I've never been notified that anything was compromised. I've never had any any dirty dealings, and anytime I had a problem with a transaction that I paid through pay through PayPal, they made sure that it was followed through to the end to make sure that you know both parties were satisfied. So what all can you do with PayPal for, for those who aren't uh, familiar with what it is? Well, you can uh, you can use it kind of like Wells Fargo, you know, to send money to someone, but you can also use it to, uh, to send uh, payments to just about most vendors out there accept it. Your bigger vendors uh, like Amazon doesn't accept it. They have their own payment method. Um, however, Walmart actually does accept PayPal, and a lot of your bigger vendors do. 
And I think a lot of this, I think it really becomes important, uh, you know, going back to the beginning of the show today, talking about those small vendors that, that we need to definitely be supporting out there. Uh, it's a great way for them to be able to accept credit cards without having to go through the big merchant account setups that a lot of banks would require and reduce. So it really does give that option to uh, even the smaller businesses out there. So it's really been a good thing in that regard. It extends a higher level of security to the smaller guy for sure. And are you aware of any kind of limits as far as how much money you can keep in a PayPal account or how much can be received? Going to have to Google not, that one. Yeah, not that I've heard. Now, one thing while we're ta- are talking about PayPal, one thing I would like to mention to all of our listeners is that PayPal does allow you to do what's called dual authentication. Um, sounds like a big nerdy word, but really what it comes down to is not only knowing your password, but you need to have some other information. Uh, for example, when I log into my PayPal account, I need to know my password. And if that were to be compromised, of course, my PayPal account, links to bank accounts, links to credit cards and everything could be compromised. But what happens every time I log into PayPal, I have to click one additional button. And what it does is it sends a text to my phone with a PIN number. So I've got to not only have my password to get in, but I need to also get that one-time PIN number that they'll send me that's good for about 30 seconds. So if I don't have my phone, I'm not going to be able to get into my PayPal account. It just gives that little bit of extra security. Just because somebody has your password, they're not going to get past you. And that's that's another thing that you can set up on just about any of your online accounts these days. Two-step authentication is a very, very uh, great way to keep your account secure because you will be notified if someone tries to log in. And after you log in from a browser, uh, it keeps the cookies in your uh, in your computer or in your phone. Uh, that way that device is validated after the fact. So if it sees you log in from a new device, then it will prompt you for those same things again. Right. And eBay does the same thing. I mean, eBay and PayPal are essentially the same company, so you know, they're linked in the same way. But and eBay's also got a lot of uh, fail-safes in place to uh, to protect you from uh, being compromised. I actually got an email last week that I had been compromised, and all they did was disable my account and make me reset my password. So they wouldn't even let me access it until mm-hmm. I had gone through and verified that you know I had gotten the message and that I was the owner of the account. So I really appreciated that as well. Yeah, I think a lot of online retailers um – are really taking a lot of black eyes out there. I mean, there's been a lot of reports of people getting information, you know, compromised about accounts being compromised, passwords being compromised. And as a result, I really think that a lot of our vendors out there, a lot of our retailers have stepped up their game to be a little bit more proactive. And, you know, it looks a lot better to us, you know, purchasers out here. But at the same time, it's also really protecting them because at the end of the day, if someone compromises your account, they got to pay you that money back. Right. I mean, there's uh, last I checked, there's no free money running around out there. Right. So someone's going to get paid, and usually it's that retailer that ends up kind of you know left holding the bill. Uh, so it's in their best interest to protect our information as well. And uh, regarding the limitations of PayPal, I, I googled that here. Um, I don't see any account limitations, but I will tell you that if you're a new PayPal user and you're using it to receive money or you like sell something on eBay, they do delay your uh, your payment to make sure that the uh, the buyer is satisfied with everything and they'll do that until they're familiar with you uh, like I don't sell a lot of stuff on eBay so I actually still get that limitation whenever I do sell something on eBay they always delay me for two weeks because I just don't have a lot of sales uh, history mm-hmm I found PayPal to be very convenient, especially when it comes to sending money to family or if I'm getting paid for a performance they can just 
you know, send it uh, to my account, and then you can transfer that money to your bank. So mm-hmm. I have found that my PayPal account has been very beneficial for me as a, as an entrepreneur and a, and a performer. And mine as well. Um, they actually have a, a thing. I don't know if it's just for businesses. I think it's for anybody, actually. Um, it's uh, called Pay After Delivery. And so they delay your payment for two weeks. That way they can make sure that you're satisfied with the transaction and everything. And if there's a problem, then they don't even take the money out of your account until two weeks after you've ordered the product, Hmm. which usually gives you enough time to receive it and make sure everything works properly. So if if a PayPal user should experience some kind of problem, what are your thoughts on uh, the consumer's responsibility to report these things so a big company like PayPal can address them and send out a mass email and say, oh, well, this thing has reoccurred and we want to make folks aware about it. So when something happens, do you think it's the consumer's responsibility to report it? If PayPal hasn't um, already addressed that and and seen that there's unauthorized activity on your account, then yes, absolutely let them know. Um, having done this myself in the past, not not for a, a fraudulent transaction uh, from something in my own personal account, but I had to deal with PayPal uh, regarding some online fraud, and it's a very long and drawn out process. So do not expect a quick resolution on any type of uh, compromising um, anything that would compromise your account. Yeah, I think definitely. I think where we're going to with that as well is going to. There's a lot of due diligence that does kind of come back onto the consumer. You know, at the end of the day. Um, it's just like what we say about health care. At the end of the day, the responsibility for your health care falls on you. And I think when it comes to our finances as well, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. My wife is very habitual about constantly checking our bank account to make sure that she understands any charges that are going on. She's looking at any of those, those accounts to make sure we know what's there. You know, knock on wood, we've been very fortunate, haven't had to really fight that too much. But, but really, that due diligence does kind of come down. You have to be you know, checking. I would much rather me be pointing it out to them that there's a problem than just kind of waiting and hoping that they're going to eventually get to it to me. And, and I agree. Daily due diligence is, is uh, definitely a good way to keep yourself from being compromised and to identify if you have been compromised. Also, uh, you want to make sure that your bank is aware of any types of issues like that. I think that you only have like a 30-day window from the time you get your statement to actually let them know that something has happened. So jump on those things immediately. Do not wait. So I want to talk a little bit about Square and ways to make it easy for people who are business owners. You know, if you are out at a remote location and people don't have cash, uh, could you talk about the benefits of Square or an alternative type service for uh, business owners when it comes to allowing people to purchase things from them? Absolutely. Um, I would say that Square is the uh, the original gangster in this situation. They were kind of <laughs> the ones that started those uh, those card readers. And um, I, I've used one since they came out, and I have to say that it, it's just so easy to use. You just turn on your location, and you log into your account, and you can take money instantly, and you can you can attach it to your bank account within just a, a few, like a couple of days. But even though it's not attached to your bank account, like say you needed to collect a payment quickly, uh, if you went to, say, Office Depot and got you one of those readers, you can sign up for an account, and within just like 15 minutes, you can start accepting payments. So it's got simplicity. Um, it, it's it's definitely very speedy. 
And it's also convenient because recently I had a client who was um, a victim of the, uh, the the DNS attacks and all that. She uses Shopify, um, which is an online shopping platform that was completely compromised by those uh, the, the DDoS's attacks. She could not accept payments. She could not scan things in her shop. We're talking like total meltdown here because she runs this, this one retail shop. So I was able to quickly move her over to Square, bring her one of my own readers, and get her accepting transactions again within the hour. So it's it's a really good backup. It is. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, this, those little small kind of attacks like that or large attacks like that can really be detrimental, you know, where your uh, your Best Buy and your Walmart and some of those guys, you know, they'll kind of they'll kind of trudge through, but to a small business owner to to lose even one or two sales can definitely be detrimental to someone and uh you know, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I've used the pay- PayPal has a very similar device. Of course, they followed Square after some of that. Another really nice thing is it just makes it convenient for customers. It's just you know you're you're there where they are. I mean, how many of us don't have our phone on us pretty much? Oh, I don't know, constantly. Right, right. And uh, most of my customers do pay with card these days. Very few people actually carry cash, and I think that's more of a security thing these days than anything. And you know, it kind of brings up a a question too. With the new iPhone Seven, I know my Square device plugs into the speaker jack. What are they going to do with the iPhone Sevens? Have you seen? Well, well, uh, <laughs> the uh, the Square Reader also has um, an external reader for the uh, the chip cards that you can get. Wow, I haven't really thought about that because that's really only for chip cards. Exactly. I guess they got that Apple Pay, so they're like, well, mm-hmm. the Square Readers can use the Apple Pay if people will just use it. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the reader that i have is bluetooth so it would be capable of taking payments because that's what it does it does the apple pay the google wallet and the um the chip cards but i guess i'm just showing that's... my age then cuz that's still the whole plug no man guy. you you're raising a very relevant <laughs> issue i'm i'm just glad that i use older ipads that still have headphone jacks in them we're going to take a quick break our last break of the hour when we get back we'll talk a little bit about identity theft and digital assistance I'm Sharita Brent here with Jeremy Thompson and Wilts Couture. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Everyday Tech. I'm Sharita Brent in studio with Wilts Couture and Jeremy Thompson. Today we've been talking about some ways to safely shop online and from your tech devices. Since Black Friday is just a couple days away, and if you're going to be shopping throughout the holiday season, we want to make sure you are doing it safely. So before the break, guys, we were talking about, uh, we, we had come upon a little mystery trying to figure out how the Square Reader was going to work with the iPhone 7 not having the headphone jack anymore. What did we come up with? We found the solution. We found the solution. So it looks like the uh, the lightning adapter, headphone adapter thing that comes with the iPhone 7 will work with the Square card reader. So if you use the Square reader and you have an iPhone 7, keep up with that little adapter. Okay, and I have a question. You know, during the holidays, well, all year round, you get these emails. It's, 
hey, your grandson is stranded uh, in Africa and he needs money to get away. Do you think these holiday email scams are going to be be more common this time of year? And uh, what should people do to avoid those if they see them? Well, for one, always know where your grandson is. <laughs> yes. Uh, pretty. pretty uh, you can put a chip in his wrist or something, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> GPS collar. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, or, or do like we do to our kids. I mean, we have the, uh, you know, find my iPhone turned on on both of their phones. We know when they're actually at school or not. Mm. Definitely the scams will continue. Um, like I tell a lot of people, all they've got to do is get one, two, maybe three people to fall for one of those. And they're they're making bank at that particular point. So, you know, it doesn't cost them too much to send a million emails out there. If they just get a few people to fall for it, unfortunately... Um, in areas like ours, you know, in in the South, we have a, we have a tendency and a reputation of being a very charitable group of folks, and as a result, especially with some probably with some of our older citizens out there, tend to be a little bit more trusting, and people prey on that, and, it, and it's a really unfortunate thing, but it is it is a reality, and especially the holidays bring it out. Um, we see it a lot around here, also whenever major storm events come through and everything else, people are preying on the trusting nature of folks. Technology has made it just that much easier for them. Um, you know, you mentioned the you know, email, oh, you know, you're so-and-so, this relative is stranded on over here and they need to get to, you know, what I would say to there is kind of almost going back to my uh, example before about the, the person sending the text message asking for the, the PIN number from their wife. Um, if someone's asking for pertinent information, physical information and everything else, I would say physically reach out to that person. You know, I would not have responded with that PIN number, for example, in a text. I would have probably called back to make sure that I was actually talking to them. Yeah, definitely a red flag uh, requesting PIN numbers, social security number, credit card numbers over email and text. It's just not wise because it could be intercepted at any time. Yeah, never put anything in an email or a text that you're not willing to put on the front page of the Clarion Ledger. Right. Hmm. Absolutely, because email is mostly not encrypted. Um, in addition to the messages that you may get, um, look and look and see who it's coming from, wh- who they claim to be. Pretty much anybody from Nigeria who's uh, a prince of sorts, uh, they're not going to be sharing any large fortunes with you. <laughs> um, in addition to that, you want to look at the what? language. Yeah, right. Get that money? Yeah, sorry, dude. It's, it's over, oh, Wilts. You're man. broke. <laughs> Check the language in the email because... A lot of scammy emails have very scammy language. Like they they don't use proper English because they come typically from overseas where people don't speak our language the same way that we do. So um, if you notice that things are are misspelled or or words are misused or or anything like that that looks suspicious, keep in mind that that's probably not legitimate. And, you know, another thing that we're coming up really close to, and it's almost scary to say these particular words, but, I mean, the year is winding down. And it also bears, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning that tax scams will start up as well. Mm-hmm. You'll start seeing the, you know, the government emails, of, oh, you know, you're you're being audited. And, you know, it's really easy to find out if you really are. Contact someone via a number that you know to be legitimate. Um, the IRS will not call you. They're going to send you a letter in the mail. They are not certified. going to call you. Yeah. And while we're, while we're saying that, too, Microsoft will not call you about any viruses you think you may have on your computer. That's Never. another scam that's really been firing up. Any um, big tech company is not going to call you because they notice that you're having a problem with your computer. They're way too busy to be dealing with your personal computer. 
Yeah, that's another one of those. It's due diligence on you. You need to contact them. Uh, actually, I was just talking to my dad about that last week, and he had received that particular phone call. Say, oh, we're Microsoft, and we recognize that you're having some problems. And they were trying to get him to give them remote access to his computer. I'll just tell every listener out there right now, not true. Totally a hoax. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been we've been kind of talking about protecting your identity and, and things like that throughout the show. Uh, I wanted to ask really quickly about when you get rid of a hard drive. Uh, should you erase that before it gets in someone else's hands because you have a lot of important data that could still be stored on it? Well, the thing is with a hard drive, when you erase it, um, most people are going to go through Windows or something to do that. And when you use the format command in Windows, that does not do a secure erase of that drive. That does a very quick format, and a lot of the data on that drive will still be intact. So like we said on the last show, just a good old-fashioned drill bit going straight through that hard drive will keep anybody from recovering any information from it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Physical destruction is what I would recommend if you're getting rid of a computer. Now, if you're recycling that computer to give to your child or something, yeah, there's some there's some good little uh, utilities out there that you could actually run to, to clean it on up. But if it's leaving your possession, I would definitely go the physical destruction route just to make sure. And something to think about also, um, a lot of us keep a lot of private information on cell phones, and a lot of people are selling off old cell phones. There are technologies out there to recover that information as well. So... You may really want to think about what you're doing with your old tech and what you may have had stored on there, especially as, you know, the holidays are approaching. You're looking at, you know, people getting new computers, new phones, new tablets. You may not just want it going out out there. I mean, there's, yeah, you might get a couple hundred dollars for your old iPhone or your old Android, but what could it, what could it really cost you? And okay. and you could go online and get a utility for uh, scrubbing phones of information for about fifty dollars and use it on as many phones as you want. So it's it's easy to do. So don't don't risk that. Um, or take it to someone like Jeremy. I mean, is that you know you know? Uh, well, I mean, not to do any shameless self promotion here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you could bring it to a guy like me. And I can, uh, what I usually do is try to encrypt the phone and then wipe it. But that process is it does take a while. But if you've got secure information on it, that's really the best way to do it. Uh, we have just a few minutes left here, and I've been saying that we were going to be talking about the uh, digital assistant. So yeah. uh, that's something that I want to do now. Wilts, you have an iPhone, so you use Siri. Uh, what and Siri are friends. What yes. about you, Jeremy? Um, I actually I have an Android, but I don't use Google now. Every once in a while, I'll use it, um, but I, I mostly use my uh, my Amazon Echo at the shop. Okay, now tell us more about Amazon Echo and what what is that connected to? That's uh, Alexa. Is she the yes, representative? Yes. Okay. Uh, so um, you can actually change the name of it if you want to. You can either oh. get it to respond to Alexa, Echo, or Amazon when you set it up. Um, super simple device to set up. It has one cord that goes into it, and then you pull up an app on your phone, and you connect it to your home network, and then boom, you're on. If you have Amazon Prime, you have access to all their music and everything. And one thing that we use Alexa for at the shop a lot is uh, a glorified jukebox. Um, we like to ask clients, you know, hey, what kind of music do you like? And we can tell her uh, what to play, or even we'll get her to tell them what to play. And it's it's a lot of fun because a lot of people still don't know that that voice command technology exists, and it's it's really affordable now. 
So I have Siri. For the most part, she's responsive and, and, and gives good answers. Would you guys say that Siri is the most advanced out of all the voice command digital assistants? Is is she the best? Don't I'm know. I have to I... argue. I like how we always have that hesitation, and we kind of you know just uh, you know. <laughs> I think Siri was one of the earlier ones out there. Yeah, as Siri, you say, the original she's the OG. Yeah, okay. yeah. So um, I think right now Google now and the uh, the Echo are kind of kind of neck and neck. Because uh, with Google Now, you can now use that with Google Maps. So say you've got your phone in your dash and you've got Google Maps up. Uh, now, I don't, I don't believe this works for iPhones, so this would be strictly Android. Um, while you're driving, you don't even have to touch the phone and you can say, okay, Google, you know, find me Starbucks and it'll find you the, the closest Starbucks and it'll ask you if you want to add that to your route. So mm. Google Now is getting a little smarter than the other ones. But um, Alexa is constantly having stuff built onto her. Uh, they call them skills. She's constantly having skills created. Um, it's an open format, so you can create your own skills for her as well. And she can do, I, I mean, she's amazing. Like, you can you can connect her to your Evernote account, and you can say, Alexa, add milk to my shopping list, and then, boom, it pops up on your phone on your shopping list. So wow. the next time you go to the store, oh, I need milk. Cool. Thanks, Alexa. So do you think these assistants are legitimate assistants or is this just a bonus? Like, is your life going to be more valuable if you use Siri or Alexa or Cortana, any of, the, any of these things? They can make things easier. Um, one thing that I like about Alexa, even though I don't use it a lot, is I can actually get her to add things to my Google Calendar. So I can say, hey, you know, I've got an on-site schedule for 10 a.m. tomorrow. Add that to my schedule. And she'll, you know, ask me a few questions and then, boom, there it is on my Google Calendar. It's maturing technology. Mm-hmm. I think to say that it's almost, you know, it's gotten to the point of being vital or, you know, really key to anything today, probably not yet. I think there's, you know, I know me personally, I still have a little bit of fun just at, at serious expense asking really silly questions. But it's getting there. Uh, I think I've heard from a couple of friends that have older relatives that are using it. It is kind of helping with those reminder Type items, yeah. putting those things onto the ad. Make sure this is on the grocery list. Uh, you know, making set, things a little bit set more timers. Convenient. Remind me when it's eight o'clock or whatever. I, I usually I'll go into the shop early and I'll say, Alexa, let me know when it's eight a.m. That way, I know to go flip my open sign, and she'll let me know. Exactly. So, I mean, there's there's the convenience going in there uh, for the people who are embracing it. It's getting there. I think I have to definitely agree too. I think that. Uh, Google and Alexa are pretty much running the pack right now. They they got the most maturity there. Um, Apple's Apple's needs to step their game up a little bit. I'm still a little bit Wait. disappointed. You know, you mentioned about the Google Maps. Mm-hmm. If you ask Siri for directions, the only app she'll use is Apple Maps. Right. And, um, had a recent experience with Apple Maps that instead of taking me to the location where my kids were at when we were on a uh, field trip, it actually took me to a gas station in the middle of nowhere. So well, Google Maps will do that too. I, it's, nothing's yeah. perfect, so. But yeah. I, I, yeah, but then we put the exact same info over there into Google Maps, and we got right to where we needed to. So it's definitely so yes. gotten way better over time. Google has yes. taken me out to the middle of nowhere before, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely improved. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, guys, I definitely hope your Black Friday shopping experience is great, and hopefully we have made it easier for folks who are going to be out shopping this weekend. And, uh, folks, you can always send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org if you ever have any comments or questions about things we discuss on the air. Wiltz, thank you for being on today. Thank Jeremy, you, thank you for being on I as well. I have a haiku, you guys. Yeah, okay, go All ahead. Right. we got time. Shop safe. 
Shop smart guys. No sense in trampling people. That laptop is cheap. <laughs> okay, good one, good one. Thanks so much uh, for joining me, Jeremy Thompson and Wilts Couture. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> I'm Sherita Brent. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening today. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy is up next.